I'm Janine. This is Outside the Box. Today, I'm in conversation with Chris Farrell. Hi, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Now, you are dialing in from Minnesota? St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. And, uh, you know, obviously, I'm going to ask, how are things there right now? There are multiple answers to that question. Yes. It is terrible what happened, just the horrible murder of uh, George Floyd. Um, there have been incredible protests and meaningful protests and wonderful protests. Mm -hmm. We had some violence over two nights and some real damage and a lot of my minority but small business owners, their shops were, windows were destroyed and their businesses will probably never open up again because mm -hmm. they were already suffering under COVID-19. So there are multiple right. layers of uh, yeah. tragedy here. But I will say that, by and large, the protests are meaningful, the protests are Good. real, and uh, the killing of Floyd George is going to be prosecuted, and as it should be, but the more important thing really is what happens in the months ahead and what types of reforms and what kind of change can really be done, whether that's a small, reopening the small businesses, reforming the Minneapolis Police Department, to dealing with um, housing segregation, lack of employment opportunities, lack of entrepreneurial opportunities. So um, it's always a difficult question to answer because there are so many things that need so to many be layers. focused on. Yes. And so many layers. But what I would say as a Twin Cities, reforming and changing the culture of the police department is absolutely a priority. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that honest view of what's going on that kind of paints a picture. Um, as I mentioned, I started this because over 40 million people are out of work. And I was thinking, some people are going to go back to work. Some people are not going to go back to work. They're going to look for work remotely, or they're going to want to start a new venture. So perhaps you could speak to someone who wants to work remotely. What kind of opportunities are out there right now? Obviously, there's so much chaos going on. Um, but where would somebody start if they want to look for work right now remotely? So there, there are these two conflicting currents. So the one current is we know that working remotely is going to expand. And there have been a number of economic studies have come out during the COVID-19 era, which is only a few months. Um, and, you know, looking at how many occupations really can be done remotely. Mm -hmm. And the initial round of estimates was around uh, a third. Oh. Now the estimates are coming up, but perhaps it's going to be half. Okay. And a lot of us are, there's no really good data on working remotely. But what we know is if you look at the larger corporations, that they had the capacity for the number I've seen, 70% of their workforce to work remotely, but only about 3% of their workforce actually worked remotely and had to do with power, control, collaboration, mm -hmm. being in the office, sharing ideas for a variety of reasons. So we've now seen that working remotely is more possible. There's going to be more investments in working remotely. Um, so that's the positive side. The negative side, or what I worry about, is the retail community is collapsing. 
So you're seeing, you know, bankruptcies, you're seeing closings, Mm -hmm. you're seeing reduced business. And there was this trend, um, many older adults who are looking for to be making some money, they'll do seasonal work. And then they'll decide if they want to do more of a full-time job. The seasonal work for a couple of years there was really working into getting a full-time job in the retail sector. And some of that work and more and more of it was being done remotely. And so in the holiday season, you'd have some people at the front desk, but remotely uh, people could be doing the work that are doing all the sort of inventory and and back office work. So what's going to happen there? That's a good question. It's a big question. So that's why I'm sort of hesitating and answering your question. But I think it is very, very strong to say the opportunities to be working remotely are only going to grow. I think this is a learning experience. More and more companies, more and more organizations are going to invest in the infrastructure because they've learned that their workers can do it. And they've recognized in this old, as you know, there's so many stereotypes that float around that substitute for thinking. So there always was this stereotype that if you're not, if I can't see you, Mm -hmm. you're not working. You might be doing the laundry. You might be, you know, having a drink outside. You might be doing whatever. Well, people are working. In fact, they're probably working too much. And by the way, management should be helping the workers work less. So that is gone. So I think the way that I would look at it is anything that intrigues you. Ask, can this be done remotely? Can it be done remotely partly? Is there a remote option here that makes sense for me? And I would ask just one other thing. Sorry, just going on a little long here. Working remotely is great. But we are social creatures. Yes. And if anyone doubts that, just think about this period of time that we've been going through with shelter in place and social distancing. We are social creatures. And so as part of this, you also want to be thinking, yes, I want to work remotely. And yes, it has some real advantages. But you have to build, whether that's in the workplace or out of the workplace, you really do have to focus on connections and on not being lonely and not feeling socially isolated and not sort of doing your work in in front of a screen and then talking to the walls. So, you know, so it's really important to think about this connection aspect. So that's why I think more and more we're going to move toward a world of part remote and part in the workplace. I like that. I know I think about the people that are living alone. They might be millennials. They have no family nearby. They're working remotely and they're not really getting out much. And I always say it's so important to go out, take a walk, connect with people from a distance, obviously a safe distance right. to get out there. And also you might be um, somebody that's introverted, but push yourself to make those Zoom calls and connect because you never know when a conversation might lift you up. You, you might start talking about something else, a hobby, something, just something that'll give, give you a sense of optimism right now. Right. Yeah. So I also add to what you said about working remotely, now's a good time to figure out how you're going to stand out. Perhaps you're going to take a class online, get certified in something, something that shows that you are growing in this time of uncertainty while you're trying to find that work. And it's some people go down a path and they think, oh, I wasted my time in that career. But you never know when that career will pivot you into something else. That's right. Yeah. So, and one of the things I like about that is, particularly if you are 50 years and older, there's an enormous prejudice 
about the older worker, the experienced worker in technology, because they don't know how to do technology. You know, <laughs> they're these people and they're there, they're all thumbs and they don't want to learn this new software. And it is such a stereotype. It is such a prejudice. And it has, you know, if you think about my first office job, my first office job had an item electric. And if you did not hit the enter button, that would happen. You could erase a line going backwards. Ooh. I mean, that was a big deal because you didn't have to take the white out. But if you think about so many people, so that was, uh, you know, my, my first typewriter, and then you went to the dedicated word processing machine. Then you went to the PC. Now you're going to um, uh, the, the, uh, the tablets and the smartphones and you learn all kinds of software, know all kinds of software, know how to use Facebook, know how to use all kinds of things. So this, this stereotype has to go away. Right. So unless your particular career or what you're interested in has a, you know, a particular type of software program that you need to learn, or there's something out there. Um, you know, I think one of the advantages of taking some courses is that it says implicitly to your employer or a potential employer, hey, I'm comfortable online. Yeah, that's so true. But, you know, if you think about it, there are so many um, uh, elders that are in um, congregate living, whether it's a, a continuing care community or assisted living center, and they're using Zoom. We're using yeah. Zoom. It's really very, very easy to use. Very so this, this technology thing has got to go by the wayside. Unfortunately, it exists. So one of the ways to deal with that and confront it, as you're saying, is take some courses, add to your skill, use this period of time, but you're also sending an implicit message. I learned new things. I know yeah. technology. I'm comfortable with it. So that's not a problem. Right. And when you're having that conversation, interview, whatever it is with a potential employer, guess what you get to talk about? Oh, and I'm on this course with Yale taking the science of well-being. I really am, by the way. And, and you have something interesting to talk about, yeah. which, you know, which shows that you're a, a curious person, you're a lifelong learner, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And there, are, there is a lot of evidence that a lot of people ha are going online during this period of time and to add to their skills, to add to their knowledge, to, um, you know, pick something up. So I think that that's a really smart use of the time. Yes. What about people who want to start a new venture? What would you say to that? So there's a couple of things. I think this has been the big shift in our society. If we went back 15 years ago and someone said to me, you know, I'm 60 years old and I want to start my business. The reaction would have been, oh, that's kind of risky. I mean, yes, you know, how much do you have in savings? Are you sure you want to do this? Right. And now we realize that's all completely wrong mm -hmm. because most of the businesses people are starting when they're 50 and over, you know, it's, uh, there's not that much money. It's a bootstrap financing and it's your office is the home or, you know, something like that. And so there's not a whole lot of investment there. The investment is in time. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the key is to really figure out, okay, so what is your idea? And to test it out in the marketplace without committing a whole lot of money. So Definitely. keep the money down, keep your costs down. That's what, there are two things that I've learned from entrepreneurs that I think are among the most important lessons. I'm sure there are more, but two that always stick in my mind is costs really matter. And I remember a friend of mine started a company and he went out and he bought a really fancy coffee maker. 
And because now, you know, he wasn't in the office anymore and he was in his own place and he was doing all this work and it was a great idea and it was wonderful. But that coffee maker used to drive him crazy because he realized that he should have only bought a coffee maker that cost $10, but he had spent too much. He wasn't paying enough attention to his costs. So costs really do matter. And the other is an entrepreneur has to learn how to say no. This is what I do. This is what I don't do because every entrepreneur does wonder, is there going to be another paycheck? Is there going to be some more cash flow coming in? Mm -hmm. And so the natural instinct is to say yes to anything. But then you also lose your focus as a business. Anyway, that's an aside. But those are two things that I do do think are important. So it's about thinking about what is it that you really want to do. What a lot of people do is they, you know, they they've worked in their careers. They know people. They know it has solved problems. They go off start their business. And a lot of their sales are back to their former company, back to people that they met over the years. And they're solving problems for them. And then they're getting the contracts because people know they can solve a problem and they trust them. You're building reputation. Another thing people do is you have a passion. Now, do you really want to turn your passion into a business? That's a serious question. But you do have insight into what the customer really wants. If you have a pa- you know a passion and you've been doing it over the years, you understand the customer. That's probably one of the most valuable pieces of information. Very key. So again, you have contacts, you have knowledge, you you kind of know what the customer might want. Again, you can solve problems for people. So I think this is an incredibly exciting area, and it's also an area where enormous flexibility. You can be self-employed, solo entrepreneur. Other people I know, they're a solo entrepreneur, but they have a couple of people that they've known over the years. And if they get a contract, oh, you oh, you can be the graphic designer. Oh, can you be the writer here? And you work together and you like working together and these are good people. But when the project's over, everyone goes off and does their own thing. You don't have to worry about who's getting what. It's all very, very clear. Some people want to go into business with their adult children. I've never been able to find the numbers of how many people are doing this, but I think this is one of the most heartening trends in our society because everyone talks about intergenerational conflict, which is basically nonsense. But there is this subterranean movement toward older parents going into business with their younger children and creating an enterprise, which eventually passes on to the children. Yes, great idea, you know. I like your, when you talk about you solve a problem. So it's not just you going out and saying, me, 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 and I've done this. It's I can solve your problem because I understand your problem. And it, it that's, is so important. That's a definition of entrepreneurship or one definition of entrepreneurship, sure. right? Right. Um, what kind of trends do you see or are you seeing as far as uh, hiring right now? So the hiring that we're seeing right now, you can kind of see it in the um, anything that has to do with online. So online, just just put the word online there. So the online shopping. And I can't remember the, the numbers of how many people Amazon hired temporarily. And now that most they've all been given the, the option of becoming full-time employees. Okay. Um, so when, uh, when we started out this conversation talking about where are the digital opportunities, mm-hmm. I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the hiring right now that's going on. The other way of looking at it, there's a very important word that's entered our, our language, the essential worker. Oh, yes. 
And so the essential worker, and it is, I hopefully, I hope it's, it's raised people's consciousness not to use low wage workers, not to use low skill workers. We have far too many low wage workers, but that doesn't mean that they are low skill workers. In fact, many of the jobs, you just think of caregiving, minimum wage job, high turnover, uh, usually have to have multiple clients in order to stitch together something of a living. That's a high skill job. Yes, it is. It's a very high skill job, but it's a low wage job. But it has become very clear that it's an, this is an essential job. This is an essential worker. I don't know how this is going to play out in our society, because when you look at a lot of jobs that are there for an aging population, they tend to be lower wage jobs right now. And that's wrong. And it's wrong. And so, it's yeah. it's hmm? completely wrong. It's completely wrong. Yeah. And so, you know, how we deal with this as a society, how we think about it, um, you know, I think that's one of the huge challenges that we have. There's lots of models around the world that we can emulate. Um, there was Nick Kristoff did a wonderful um, column re recently, you know, how the McDonald's, Dan the Danish McDonald's workers pitied the U.S. McDonald's workers because the McDonald's workers in Denmark have health insurance, they have retirement oh. savings plans, they have all, all this kind of thing. And so they don't have anything such as, um, you know, the movement toward a $15 minimum wage. It's, you know, they, and so, you know, so there is no reason and they're highly productive. So there's no reason to have things organized the way we do. I don't know how big an influence that's going to have going forward, but an essential worker is an insight to build on. Yes. Any advice you'd give to college grads who want to get out there and work and they're not feeling so positive right now? Well, they, yeah, I, you know, words are easy. And, you know, you can give some advice and it's really, you know, look, this is a tough market. Even the people who have internships, their online internships, their digital internships, it's a very small slice. So what I really would do, though, is, again, try and take advantage of this time. You know, you had mentioned online courses. Of course, you've just been going through some courses, but there may be some, you know, practical skills that you want to pick up that you didn't pick up in college. That's fine. But the other thing is, there's this word called networking. Oh, yes. Now, networking has become a cliche, um, but it's actually really important. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important lessons for any young person is very few people are ever going to get a job online, putting in that online application. Black hole. You need, huh? It's a black hole. It's a black hole. Yeah. And the algorithms and how they work yeah. and all that. So it start reaching out and talking to people that you know. And here's the thing. Most people. I'm sure there's going to be one jerk out there, mm -hmm. but most people will take the time to talk to you. Yeah. So if you have questions, they won't have a job for you maybe, right. but if you're intrigued with what they're doing and talk to them, what was your career? What, what, where's your career going? What is happening in this job? How do I get into this? Who should I be talking to? I mean, just ask a lot of questions. And there's a, a legendary uh, journalist. He's dead, David Halberstrom. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, the most important question to ever ask in any interview comes at the end and you say, who else should I talk to? Great question. And then you can use that person's name. So-and-so said, I should reach out to you. So I would be using this time to sort of, because think about for most young people, they know what a job is. Right. They, they can at least 
imagine what it means to be financially independent. But what is this career thing? What is a career? What does that mean? And if you graduate, um, you know, if you're graduating now, it's not unrealistic to think that you'll have a 60 to 70 year career, which really means you're going to have 60 to 70 years worth of several careers during that period yes. of time. If you just think about right. yeah, exactly <laughs> educated people and longevity. Mm -hmm. So I think my most practical piece of advice is network, interview, talk to people, mm -hmm. follow up, do all those things that are uncomfortable to do that you feel very awkward and you, you, you feel stupid and you feel like I'm asking stupid questions and why is it? Listen, they want to talk to you. They want to help you out. They want to impart some piece of practical information that, you know, they're not going to get anything back from this. No. It's and just maybe somebody help them. Yeah, somebody exactly. Help them get to where they are when they were, you know, 21 out of college and they had a mentor. Yeah. And everyone has that story. Yeah. Right. And everyone wants to pay that back, that person back, because you never can. It's true. And oftentimes that person doesn't even know it, that they had an influence on you. So this is one of the things that most people will do, and particularly in this circumstance, because who doesn't feel bad about the lack of opportunity right now for the younger generation? I know. And you never know who you're talking to might know somebody who actually has a business that needs people. Yeah. Don't go into it like that, obviously. Just go into it to find out information, explore their, how they got to where they are, and be open. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about your book. So I wrote a book called Purpose and a Paycheck. And you know, the basic thesis is we're better educated, we're healthier. There are a lot of holes in our retirement savings system, and most people don't have much in savings. And so you're going to work longer. And the question I always get is, well, people do people want to work longer or do they need to work longer? Mm -hmm. And the answer is both. Because if you are going to be working longer, you want to be doing something that you enjoy. And um, there's a wonderful book by Studs Terkel called Working. It's from the early 1970s. Now, it's definitely a different era. It's the elevator operator, the, the secretary, you know, the, um, it was mostly low-wage jobs of that time. And Interview is a thick book. And but the introduction is well worth reading because what he said is what he learned from every one of those interviews is that everyone needs their daily bread, but they also want something more, a sense of community, a sense of meaning, a sense that they made a difference, that they made a mark. And so it doesn't matter what kind of job you do. Purpose is fundamental to who we are and you shouldn't give up on that. So that's what the book is about. And just the other layer is we have to just embrace an aging population is not a negative on our economy. It's not a negative on our society. You know, people can be more creative in their 70s than they were in their 40s. They can be more creative in their 60s than they were in their 20s. And they can be productive. And we have all this research and all this information. So stop this conversation about this economy is going to be dragged down by too few young people supporting too few older people. Right. I, as a side note, uh, I have written a book, and in the book, I interviewed this woman. She's now 88, I believe. And in her late 70s, she decided she wanted to become a triathlete. And she learned to swim in her 80s, and she's uh, training to hike Mount Kilimanjaro. And she's 80. Good. So it's like never too late 
you know, the only person to limit you is you, you know, you just, if you want to do something, go out and do it, you know, yeah. to make it happen. And right. create the opportunities right. for people to exercise their creativity, exercise their productivity. And management cannot assume that once you hit age 50, it's a downhill decline from there. Mm -hmm. And the day to celebrate is the day you retire because then you got this old person off the books. Mm -hmm. And what has happened now, this is a pre-COVID. So we'll see what happens now. But pre-COVID, it was changing when we had a, uh, the tight, relatively tight labor market. And all of a sudden, there was more and more managers saying, wait a second, there's a lot of skill and knowledge here. How do I retain this skill and knowledge? Because I don't want this person to go out the door. And that conversation was really shifting. We'll have to see what happens now when the pandemic is more in the rearview mirror. But that was the story of the pre-COVID economy. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. So we have to wrap up. Any last bit of information you'd like to leave the viewers with? Well, I think the thing about entrepreneurship that we were talking about earlier, whether or not you become an entrepreneur, I think it's a really useful exercise to think about because you might not want to start your own business. That may not be practical for you. It's just not going to fit in what your portfolio of activities you're creating. But if you think about what is it if I were going to start my own business, if I was going to start my own company, if I was going to start my own nonprofit, I mean, what would it be? And then that will help you clarify, well, what is it that I want to do? Yeah. Because part of this working longer, encore careers, doing a different job, you have to take time to think through what is it that I really want to do? And that takes time. Okay. And so I think the lens of being an entrepreneur is a very intriguing kind of almost enjoyable way to think what it is I want to do next. And uh, whether or not you actually do start your own company or your own nonprofit, it may help you focus your energy. And this is where I want to do my exploration. It's an exciting time. Yeah, yeah. it is. Where can people find out more about you? So uh, I have a website, um, chrisferrell.net. Uh, I uh, am senior economics contributor for Marketplace and work for Minnesota Public Radio. And I write for PBS Next Avenue, the online magazine for the 50 plus population. And I have a column with the Star Tribune. So you can okay. find me in a lot of places. And shout out to Carrie Hannon, who introduced me to you. She's been on my show. Ah, she's wonderful. She's great. She is. Yeah. So thank you. This has been really, really insightful. Very, very uh, great, fantastic content for the, the series. So thank you. Oh, well, thanks for the opportunity.